There has been a lot of news related to housing in Troy this month. To go over a few, the manager of the bowling alley in Troy threw water on an unhoused person that he was chasing away. The city broke up a tent community near Prospect Park. Most recently, the city's quality of life task force visited and then evicted immediately a tenant who had seemingly put forth a complaint about heat. And then they went on to post photos of the inside of this apartment on the city's social media. The Troy chapter of the DSA has been speaking about this and had rallied people to show up at this week's city council meeting to speak up about housing. Mark Speedy was there and today joins me to discuss. Mark, welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Great to be here. Thanks, EP. So maybe this is not a complete list that I just went over, but talk about housing. Talk about how the city has been handling housing needs and issues from a DSA perspective. I think we've seen a very sudden and stark turn uh, since uh, Mayor Mantello took office and since she has implemented this, quote, quality of life task force. You know, she's claimed that this is something that is just intended to help our various departments work together. But from what has been posted online, the things that the quality of life task force has done has been primarily to make life worse for those who are most unfortunate in our city. Um, so they have, you know, cleared out a homeless encampment that was near the Prospect Park. They cited uh, safety issues as one of the reasons that they did it. Um, however, I think it's fair to say that uh, there's nothing that they were doing to make those people more safe by taking away their tents, sleeping bags, uh, and heating equipment right before a winter storm. Similarly, they have been uh, using code enforcement to enforce more evictions. As you mentioned, there was a Facebook post that they made essentially shaming someone for the uh, mess on the inside of their apartment when they had code enforcement had gone in to confirm that there was no heating. Um, there were broken windows as well. Um, clearly, there was a negligent landlord involved. Um, but the framing that the city has taken with these kinds of actions has been squarely to put fault on the tenants um, and the unhoused, uh, the more unfortunate people in our community. Thanks, Mark, for going into those a little bit further. That one Facebook post was one that we had heard about. People were upset about that post and the city took it down. But that doesn't necessarily mean that their policy related to code enforcement, evictions, and the such is going to change. This is not the first post that they've deleted. They also deleted posts about clearing the tent city near Prospect Park. There was another post that they had uh, made where they shared directly a post from Carmela Mantello's official campaign page to the City of Troy account. All of those posts were deleted after you know several concerned citizens said that it was wildly inappropriate. So to me, it shows that there's a pattern here where you know the city and and the mayor's administration is taking these actions that are unpopular, and they don't understand that these are not things that anyone in the city really wants. And so I would hope that maybe after some of this backlash that they might 
tone down their response. But honestly, I, I think what's going to happen is that they're just going to be more quiet about it. You're part of the Troy DSA. Your group organized uh, Speak Out this week at the city council meeting. A handful of people spoke, and I'm wondering why was it important for you guys to bring people to the city council meeting? Why was it important to participate and talk with our council representatives? And what was, you know, you spoke and a few other people spoke. What was the concerns that were voiced to council? The point of doing this, especially since we have a new city council in place, there's um, it's almost entirely new councillors um, with only uh, Council President Steele and uh, Member Sorrento returning. I think it's important that we make an early showing of the fact that when the city does this kind of behavior, when they they act in ways that are demonstrably bad for tenants, for the unhoused, that people are going to show up, people are going to notice and they're going to be mad. Those were the reasons why we wanted to do it. And I think, you know, we we were able to have a few people speak and give some really compelling points. Two of the speakers were professionals who have worked with the unhoused and were able to talk a lot about what it is that they're dealing with. There are uh, a number of things that people tend to point to when it comes to uh, homelessness, uh, mental health issues, drug abuse. And I, I think that the more jarring thing that we're seeing is that the People who are unhoused right now, the people who are in shelters or on the streets are not just people who are dealing with mental illness or drug abuse. There are people with jobs. There are an increasing number of seniors who are on Social Security benefits who are seeing those benefits stay exactly the same on a fixed income while rents continue to go up. The point that we really wanted to get across was this is not just some crisis that you can uh, solve with police. It is not a crisis that you can solve with really demonize these people for and try and say that it's their own fault. These are people who are working or have worked their whole lives who are just trying to survive and, and get a safe place to stay. What would you like the city to do instead? Well, you know, there there are a lot of things that we could do. One of the most common things that we've heard from a lot of tenants who wind up evicted, there are people who get evicted because of code enforcement coming in and deeming their property uninhabitable. And that's no fault of the tenants generally. It's usually because of a negligent landlord who isn't providing heat or um, otherwise is letting the property fall into ruin. Currently, what happens is the city will come in and say, you can't live here anymore. And the landlord will do nothing about it. The person gets kicked out of the house and they usually wind up in a shelter. Something that we could do is provide some sort of uh, protection, pass legislation that would require the landlord to cover housing costs for the displaced tenant, at least until the end of their lease. We've also uh, seen talk about rent stabilization. It was passed in uh, Albany not long ago. New York City has it, and it would do a lot to at least slow the rising of rents that we've seen in recent years. And yeah, I mean, there's a number of other housing protections, uh, tenant protections that we could have in place. But ultimately, I think the, the biggest thing that we're going to need to do is build more housing, right? There's a huge shortage, and we can't just keep only building the luxury buildings and you know units that are for the uh, highest income members of our society. We need to be balancing that with affordable units as well so that everyone has a, a place to say. Great. Mark Speedy, we're 
we're quickly running out of time, but I did want to revisit the uh, city council meeting as, you know, it was getting to be the time of the public comment period. And one of the new uh, city council people who I believe is now District 1 representation, Bill Keel, put together a motion or a proposal to limit public speaking time to three minutes. Now this this struck me in the midst of the meeting, there was a vote on this. It didn't happen at this meeting, but is this something as a public we should be concerned about in terms of the potential of having less time for each individual to speak during the public comment period at city council meetings? It's a major concern. Bill Keel, I think being a freshman member of the council is probably not as familiar with the procedures, but it was mentioned there that this is actually, it would be illegal under New York state law. Um, under the open meetings law, public forums are required to be a minimum of five minutes. Um, the council can vote to extend that time, but it would go against state law to limit it uh, to three minutes. And, uh, you know, I think it really goes to show that at least some members of the council are uh, not interested in hearing uh, our, our citizens speak. Uh, it's really disappointing to see that uh, while so many of these members ran on a promise of transparency and accountability, some of them at least do not want to hear us speak. I was grateful to hear that Sue Steele uh, was uh, very defensive uh, against that resolution, um, as well as I, I believe I heard uh, Republican Ryan Brosnan standing up against it as well. So thankfully, they did not wind up limiting the time then. Uh, I am still concerned that they might try and pull the same thing in the future. But I, I think it's just something that we're going to have to continue fighting for. With that, is there anything I didn't get to ask you about today, Mark, that you would like to make sure our audience hears about related to uh, housing and what the DSA has in store in terms of work you're doing on or anything we just missed today? The DSA has made housing our priority this year, so we're going to be doing a lot more work around it uh, coming up soon. Um, if you're interested, you can uh, check us out at TroyDSA.org to you know sign up for a mailing list and, and learn more about what we're doing. You can also see us at the Oakwood Community Center on uh, Saturday mornings. Uh, we're helping out at the food pantry there, and we're going to be providing housing uh, support advice and uh, winterization supplies for people who need help insulating their homes. So catch us in those places. And yeah, thank you so much for having me.